check, check, check. Yo, good morning, good morning. I listen. I remember back. I, I used to be a little baby imposter DJ. Um, I uh, one of the more cringier things I've ever done in my life, and I've done some cringy, cringy things. But one of the more cringier things that I've ever done was uh, back at John Carroll University, where I cut my teeth as a young radio DJ. I had gotten word that one of the only other DJs on the radio station who played hip-hop music got a gig spinning uh, at a club downtown Cleveland. Um, and I talked to him. We were buddies already. I mean, we, you know, we, were, we were tight already because we were radio nerds together. But I, uh, I asked him about it, and he's like, yeah, man, they, they got me in. You know, it was like Wednesday nights or something. Or it might have been third, whatever college ID night was. They got me in college ID night. I'm, I'm DJ, you know, I got, I got the... The real DJ comes on from 11 to, to 3, whatever, but I'm on 9 to 11. I'm like the pre-show for the main DJ. And I was like, wow, how is it? And he's like, well, you know, the club doesn't really get busy till 10, 30, 11 o'clock. So for the first hour or so, I'm basically playing to nobody. And I go, and again, I say cringy. It's because I invited myself. I was just like, can I come? He's like, yeah, I guess. And I, I don't think he saw that as me being, you know overstepping in any way because I, I, I honestly just intended to just like come and watch I was just like oh can I just come be a fan you know like let me let me see how you do this so anyway we get there and of course nine o'clock rolls around they open the doors and there's literally nobody god do you remember those days do you remember the days of literally not going even going out until 11 p.m <laughs> are young people still doing that by the way because everything that I can tell now closes by midnight are there still like nightclubs and stuff <laughs> such an old person Oh, my God. Oh, I just became such an old person. But it's a legitimate question. Are there still places that you can go and hear loud, you know, <laughs> until 3 o'clock in the morning and wait in line with 15 other people to get the shittiest, absolutely shittiest, you know, gin and juice you've ever had or whatever? Does that still exist? Anyway, this was that joint. And at 9 o'clock, there was not a single freaking person there. It was a couple of bartenders, like one or two regulars. And I mean, you know, people that didn't fit in at the club. I'm talking about like old people sitting at the bar drinking a Bud Light. And then and then me and this kid. And so he's, he's playing, he's playing. And eventually he just says to me the thing that I was, you know, between you and I kind of hoping he'd say the whole time. And he's like, want to take a spin? So I go up there on the one and twos and I take a spin and it goes fine. And my buddy thinks I'm good at it, and he goes to get the owner, and he and he says, hey, you know, I know for a fact they're looking for somebody to open on Wednesday nights or Thursday, whichever one he wasn't doing was the other one, which is, um, what did they used to do? I think most clubs were open like Wednesday through Saturday. Friday and Saturday, there was no promotion at all because they were bumping anyway, but I think one of the two nights, Wednesday or Thursday, was ladies' night, and the other one was college ID night, you know, so there was like, those were the two big promotions on the weeknights. So he goes, I got class till, you know, nine on Wednesday, so I can't do Wednesday nights. So you want to do Wednesdays? And, and, uh, and I was like, yeah, and he goes, let me just go get the owner and you can do a quick audition. You can use my, my tapes, my CD at the time in DJ uh, technology where we were at is we were not yet at the download thing where you just had a laptop connected to the Internet and you could download anything anytime. We started to have some... Um, beat mixing software, but we didn't have it there. This was still just good old fashioned raw talent, and um, and that was it. And and uh, basically, we were playing music off of CDs, 
And so I was kind of had to use his CD. So he goes to get the owner, and I have approximately 30 to 60 seconds at this point to thumb through the CDs to try and find some stuff I think I can mix well together. Well, I'm not great at hearing the, um, what's it called, BPM, beats per minute. I can't just hear that and immediately know how to kind of match it to the next beat. I mean, I can mess around with it on the turntables and everything and get them to mix each other, but I'm not really great at just knowing what songs are going to flow well together. Some DJs are good at that. The way that I can kind of create a recipe in that way, maybe, where I can just kind of know how flavors will go together, a lot of DJs are really good at just knowing how songs are going to go together. And that's not me, especially not when I was freaking 21 years old. So anyway, he goes to get the owner. The owner comes in and goes, all right, you know, and it's one of those things where he's like, I don't got time for this shit. Uh, I don't have high hopes for this. You know, sure, I'll give you a minute. Show me what you got. And I started playing. Oh, God, this is going to put you exactly what era this was in. I start playing some who Mike Jones, who who Mike Jones, Mike Jones, Mike still tipping on full foes. And, uh, and he just literally standing in the middle of a big, giant, empty dance floor on, uh, on the uh, east side of the flats in Cleveland, Ohio, looked up at me, rolled his eyes as much as he possibly could, and just did this thing with his hand like, okay, next, let me hear a transition. I do a transition. I, if I remember correctly, it wasn't particularly great or bad. It was, it was okay. And he goes, let me hear one more. I do one more. And he just goes, okay, I'll talk to you about it later. And he leaves. And it was about 45 to 60 total seconds, right? Later, I try to talk to him. He's busy. He's got a line of 1,000 people waiting to talk to him. I wait in this line. It's like an awkward like 25 minutes of just standing next to a group of eight people waiting for the two seconds. And he eventually, he sees me, ignores me, sees me, ignores me, sees me, ignores me. And just eventually grabs me by the shoulder, leans in and goes, hey, bud, better luck next time. Not going to work out here. <laughs> cringe. <laughs> just cringe. <laughs> oh, God, I think back on that and I go, how cringy can you possibly get? Oh, God, I got a few of those. I think we all do. We all have a few of those. I think we all have a few of those. Right. I like sharing mine. I was. uh thinking about all, everything I wanted to talk about on the podcast today, I, I got inspired. I saw my boy Dan Western last night. Shout out to Dan at the Webster Christmas Parade. We brought Leo. Leo had a good time. Although Leo tapped out a little bit early. Tapped out about 90% of the way through the parade. Said, I'm ready to go home. Got a little cold. He's got a little bit of his daddy in him. He's very uh, interested in doing things, but also uh, introverted and ready to leave <laughs> So anyway, so we left a little bit early, but I was uh, scrolling through my phone just now trying to figure out, hey, what do we, you know, what do I want to cover? I got a few things I want to cover on the podcast, but what else can I put in here? And I did realize as I was scrolling that it is deer season, uh, which means unfortunately my feeds right now, uh, about once or twice a day, I'm coming across somebody proudly holding up a dead deer, which is just not, I listen, I know a lot of people, I've got family that hunts, my business partner's a big hunter. My, uh, I've got employees that hunt. I, I know, I know it's a big thing and a lot of people do it. I know it's just, I just can't. First of all, the idea of bundling up right now and going and standing out in the cold for the next eight hours feels like the worst idea in the history of the world. And then the main event being that I'm going to shoot an animal 
and then go to it and like now I've got to carry a dead animal put it in the back of my truck and bring it oh god I can't even I gotta stop talking about it because it's gonna make me gag um the other thing though on a completely different note to completely change gears that I did come across in my scrolling just now was that uh, apparently tomorrow they are going to unveil the McGold card. <laughs> McDonald's is going to give away, I think it's 10 or 12 or whatever, McGold cards, which is free McDonald's for life. And tomorrow the details come out. Mm-hmm. Oh, speaking of big brands and promotions and shit, uh, I watched that Hey Pepsi, Where's My Jet documentary on Netflix. It's it's okay. It's interesting. It's If you don't know, it's, it's uh, years ago... I want to say maybe late 80s, early 90s, something like that. Pepsi did a promotion where you could earn Pepsi points. Every time you bought Pepsi, you earned a point, you know. And uh, then they had a catalog full of stuff you could get. So if you had, a, you know, 100 points, you could get a Pepsi T-shirt. And for 500 points, you get a Pepsi jacket. And what they did is they put in the commercial, towards the end of the commercial, as a joke, they put that you could win a like a jet, like a military jet for 7 million points. But it didn't have a disclaimer or anything on it. And so somebody actually went through with getting 7 million freaking Pepsi points and then saying, hey, I want my jet. And they it went all the way to court and everything. And spoiler alert, Pepsi ended up winning because it was intended to clearly be a joke that you could win a military jet by drinking enough Pepsi. But it was, yeah, it was a good documentary. Uh, speaking of documentaries, then after that, my wife and I last night started the Bling Ring, the real br- Bling Ring, that documentary on the kids who were running around Los Angeles stealing from celebrities' homes. And uh, she wrapped up the whole thing. There's three episodes. My wife watched all three last night. I tapped out after one, but I might watch the next two this morning while I do a little bit of development work this morning. Yeah, I get to do some development work this morning. This is one of my absolute favorite parts of my job. I would say I have probably two favorite parts of my job. That is, one is probably watching aspiring entrepreneurs have the opportunity to make their dream come true. It sounds corny, sounds scripted, but it's true. And the other is recipe development, and that typically happens for bigger brands that come to us. Um, and so here's like a list of the stuff that I get to try to dial in here over the course of the next a couple of weeks or so, and it starts today in my house. And I'll, I want to even—I kind of want to explain even to how I do this. But so I get to make a lemon butter sauce, a clam sauce, a steak sauce, a gravy, an apple sauce, and some jams and some jellies and stuff like that. Uh, maybe a marsala sauce. Um, really, really cool stuff. Uh, My—if if, in case you're wondering, how do these products get developed and eventually come to market? So in our business, a lot of times. Uh, you know, we'll work ac- across three segments. And a lot of times that first segment, those entrepreneurs, the startups are going to come to us with something ready to go. They're going to come to us with, hey, I've been making this sauce my whole life and I'd like to bring it to market. Okay, that's easy enough. The uh, second segment we work across would be the restaurants and very similar situation. Hey, we've got the sauce we've been making in the restaurant for years and they're, they're ready to go. The third situation sometimes will be the larger or the more regional brands who are looking for, you know, they have established brands, they have established products, and they're looking to sort of diversify their um, their offerings. And so that's where I sometimes get to do development. So I essentially do it in basically three stages. The very first stage, the very first test it has to pass is just my own, just the poly test. So the first thing I'm doing is basically just straight up flavor profile. 
And that is as simple as, let's take, for example, uh, applesauce, right? I got to make an applesauce. Okay, this, this company wants an applesauce. Great. The very first step is very simply me at my house making applesauce with as few and as simple of ingredients as I possibly can. Okay. And um, getting to a point where I think it's a kick-ass applesauce. And then simply taking the, rest, the, the ingredients that I used. And if we get to the point where it's a kick-ass applesauce using those ingredients, we're on to step two. It's a, a, basically a three-step process. Step two is going to be to recreate that, but this time to get the ratios recorded. So the second time is going to be a slightly bigger batch because when I do it at home, it's going to be basically just what you would make at home, right? I mean, this could be literally a quart to a gallon worth of product. So it's not a, a lot. The second thing I'm going to do is now I'm going to take it to work and I'm going to do it in a setting where I'm going to add in a few things. I'm going to, first of all, up, up the batch a bit and typically go for at the absolute least one gallon, <clears throat> maybe... And usually they're going to aim for somewhere between two and three gallons. And I'm going to do a prototype batch. And this time, every ingredient that goes in the pot, you know, I already have a rough idea from what I made at home of what's going to go in there. This time we're going to really measure what we're putting in there. And the important thing is we're measuring in weights, not cups and tablespoons and teaspoons, because that's too subjective from person to person. Your version of a tablespoon and my version of a tablespoon are two different things. Okay. And you might say, well, how could that be? Think about it, right? When you're actually measuring tablespoons of shit, what are you doing? You're scooping, scooping, and sometimes there's a little bit more, and honestly, sometimes a little bit less than a full tablespoon in there. But you know what you can't, you can't screw up is weights. If you get it right down to the ounce or even the gram in some cases, you can't screw that up. So the second time around, I'm going to recreate the recipe. This time I'm going to record the weights. The other important thing at this point is I'm going to work on shelf stability. So I'm going to measure the acidity of the product, and I'm also going to cook it to temperature, and that's usually a much higher temperature than you would cook it at home. Um, and I'm finally going to jar it and, and try to you know create some shelf-stable product out of that tiny little batch. This is typically when I will then, maybe two or so days later, test that product, and if I still like the taste and if, I, and if it did achieve shelf stability – now I will typically take it to the client, and I will say, here is what we've come up with. If the client approves, because then sometimes you have to repeat that process a couple times as the client wants you to you know, tweak this or tweak that. But let's just assume that goes smoothly. Client approves. You're on to the third step, which is what I call feasibility, which is basically now we're going to run an even bigger batch, and it could be... Uh, a dozen gallons all the way up to, in some cases, we will even do a full batch up to almost 100 gallons, and we'll run it through our actual equipment, our bottling line, and we'll see how that goes. And now what you have is you've got a, a recipe that everyone approves of and a process, because now you got to bring it to production and get a process that your production team approves of. And I, uh, typically knowing my production team, will know not to present them something that's going to give them a big, big, big headache. Although there can sometimes be little things about recipes that can be slight headaches. So you're basically then working with your production team and running a feasibility run to see if it'll actually work on your equipment. And uh, ultimately, if that's a yes, the production team says yes, client says yes, we're good. I don't know, was that interesting or was that boring? I don't know. <laughs> hearing about dialing things in. Oh, man. Speaking of interesting or boring, you know what I'm very, very interested in? 
I will admit I am on pins and needles and I cannot wait. The Bill Moran podcast. Yeah, buddy. I am excited to hear the Bill Moran podcast. I do believe it comes out tomorrow, right? December 5th. Let me check my calendar. Yep, December 4th is today. Tomorrow being the 5th. I don't know what time. Uh, I have watched his teasers, and his teasers say it should be available wherever you get your podcast. So I'd assume it'll be on, well, I guess wherever you get your podcast. For me, I usually use Apple Podcasts, maybe a tiny bit of Spotify. But uh, I assume it'll be wherever you get your podcast. And um, it'll be interesting to hear what he has to say. I, I don't know if, uh, well, I guess I, you know what, you know what, you know what, you know what, I think I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> I think I'm just going to, I think I'm going to be there for it. I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to enjoy it. And maybe we'll talk about it next week, depending on how it goes. We'll see. Media in general though, man, Whew, man, I, you know, I, we, I went to get my TSA pre-check this week. There's this, uh, you know, the TSA pre-check line at the airport in, in Rochester basically means you get to skip the line. I've never seen more than maybe a 30 second wait in the TSA pre-check line in Rochester. In bigger airports, it can be more like five minutes, but compared to the 45 minutes, you can sometimes wait in bigger airports. Well worth it. There is a security company in uh, Rochester on Monroe Avenue, right across from Pittsburgh Plaza in the uh, same building as where like the Source Jewelers is that does TSA pre-check. So I went this week and uh, did my fingerprints and got my screen and got screened basically and everything. And I passed. I already got my email. I passed. So I'm officially TSA pre-check for the next five years. Very excited about that. But while I got there, I was in the waiting room and uh, my wife, who was with me, recognized one of the women in the waiting room and said, hey, Jane. And it turns out it was former 13 Wham reporter Jane Flash. Yeah, and uh, and so we got talking to Jane Flash, and we talked to her about a million different things. You know, TSA pre-check, of course, was part of it, but we were talking about life and kids and grandkids, and she and her husband run a bed and breakfast in the Finger Lakes. I, I never knew that. I think that's awesome. Uh, but then, of course, we started talking about media a little bit and about the recent max exodus uh, from media and how there's just not a long line of people anymore waiting to get in because that's really how media has thrived for years i mean newspapers been guilty of this radio's been guilty of this television's been guilty of this they have no problem bringing in young people to just burn out at you know i don't know thirty two thousand dollars a year for as many years as they're willing to do it and then just whenever they finally kind of wise up to the fact that hey this sucks they just replace them with the next person in line. And and newspaper doesn't have a lot. Now, newspaper does have one small advantage, and that is that usually the actual best journalists, actual true, honest-to-God, hardcore, you know, pound-for-pound pound best journalists still target newspaper because they see it as, I think, their best opportunity to truly investigate and and report on the things that they want to report on in a really detailed way um television i i don't know so so much is getting the hardcore journalists television is still having some benefit off of the allure of tv newspaper of course as we all know is just not going in the right direction radio is not far behind it radio i think of the three is probably suffering the most of the constant churn out of young people because 
it's just not cool to young people anymore to be on the radio. Whereas my generation, that was cool. We grew up listening to the radio. So when I got to college and then into my 20s, working in radio was really cool. So this kind of BS thing that they feed you of like, because they almost take on this attitude. You've heard me refer to it before as gaslighting. But they almost take on this attitude of like, hey, you're welcome that we let you work here. You are welcome. You are so welcome. You deserve it. No, you do. You deserve You deserve to work here. And we want you to know that we think you deserve to work here. Absolutely. And so this year, we're not going to be able to do a raise, but we will allow you to have all the time you'd like to thank us for the opportunity of letting you work here. Go ahead. <laughs> I think that's what the, it's obviously exaggerated, but that's what it can feel like. Well, the, the truth is, in the past, they've always had the benefit of that line of people waiting to get it, and it's not there anymore. It's just not there anymore. I happen to know that they're having a hard time filling positions. Really fascinating stuff, guys. It's just really fascinating. Alexis Arnold exits. She's a gem. Alexis is amazing. Alexis has just got the charisma. She draws a room to her. She is fantastic but then and and I feel bad for Alexis for this because she didn't get quite frankly didn't get the proper send-off she deserves but Doug Emblidge the retirement of Doug Emblidge which by the way the night that Doug Emblidge retired I was a neglectful father because I was my wife was getting her haircut and it was a Leo and daddy night and we had a fun night Leo and I we had a boys night we went to bounce hopper and we went to get pizza together and we had a fun night and everything but once the news came on um uh well actually I didn't get to watch it live I think I watched ever once they started posting everything online which was a little after seven they got all those stories up pretty fast I essentially basically put the TV on and let Leo watch TV and then I put my earbuds in and started watching all the various Doug Emblidge send-offs and I felt my eyes welling up I mean Doug Emblidge was a really really good guy he was a really good guy and I had the opportunity to work with him kind of kind of for years um Doug was uh, Doug was the news guy for us on the Brother Wee's show for many years. I want to say from roughly 2009 until 2000, oh man, maybe 18 or 19, something like that. Um, and and when he was let go from iHeart at, at the same time Billy DeTore was, and I just learned on Twitter this week that apparently when that happened, they simply disconnected the feed between 13 wham and iHeartMedia, and didn't tell billy or doug they just pretended it was technical difficulties until later in the day when they could get around to letting them both go again you know i've told you like it was not a well-run ship so um doug in my experience with doug believe it or not i tell a story i think i've never told my very first reaction to doug was actually a little bit negative but in retrospect, and I should say I realized in retrospect pretty quickly that he was right. And, and I, I always knew he was right, but in the moment I was a little bit pissed off. On my, and I am not exaggerating when I tell you literally first day, this would have been October of 2010, as Weez's producer, it was time for the Doug News, okay? And somebody had been hit by a bus. And when he did the story... I played a beep, beep, a horn sound effect. Weez laughed. 
Jamie Lissau laughed. I laughed. Doug didn't say a thing. Immediately following the show, Doug emailed and said, if this is the humor you're going for, I can't be part of the show. I was pissed. For about 24 hours, I was pissed off. Not even 24 hours. The next morning, I woke up. So the rest of that day, I remember being pissed off. Like, well, who was he to, you know, what does he think he knew? And then the next morning, I wake up, and it just hits me like a ton of bricks, you know. Ah, shit, he's exactly right. That was an insensitive thing to do. It wasn't funny. Kicking, you know, everybody knows with humor, kicking down, punching down is always just not funny. It's never funny. And um, and I immediately regretted it. And I, and I don't recall exactly how, or even if, quite frankly, even if I ever apologized. But I, I, I pretty much knew from that point on that wasn't going to fly with him and that he was right, that it shouldn't, that that was not the place to find humor on the show. Um, and then over the course of the next bunch of years, I really grew to love Doug. I mean, we got to a point where we worked pretty well together. Um, so basically what would happen is I would pull a bunch of clips and then I would um, – uh, he would pull the news stories. Typically, you know, it's not that big of a town, not that many news stories out there. I would be pulling the right clips. He would do the stories. He would tell me what audio he was going to use. And we got to a really good point where I just knew from the cadence of his voice when to hit the audio clips. And we really had that down to a well-oiled machine by the end of the We Show days where he would be doing a story. And like on the duh. I knew, boom, hit the audio. And I was right 99% of the time. I mean, we really got good. So over the course of the next decade, I think we worked really well together. And I really came to appreciate and love him. And I remember the moment that I realized, a couple of moments, I think, a couple of things, if I could say, personally, where I knew three, I want to say at least three things where I knew that Doug was a good, genuine guy. And granted, these are all self-serving, but uh, I want to tell you about these things. So one would have certainly been the fact that I do a lot of charity dinners and Doug and Colleen run in some of the circles for the people that tend to buy my charity dinners. And that is, you know, a live auction item at a local gala. Uh, people will pay some money, donate to that charity, and then I'll come to your house on a Saturday night and essentially throw you a giant Italian feast party. And Doug has attended a few of those with his wife, Colleen. And uh, most people, and honestly, most people are extremely generous and kind and nice and they're great, great dinner parties. Uh, but Doug and Colleen have always made a point to include me. And I'm not necessarily asking to be included all the time. I want you to know that. Sometimes I'm like, look, I got to work here. I've got a, a big meal to prepare and I need to work in the kitchen while you guys are having your cocktails and appetizers. I've got work to do. But Doug and Colleen have always made it a point to step aside for a few moments and just spend some time with me you know, in the kitchen while I'm working. And I've always loved and appreciated that very much. Another thing for Doug was after the Sinclair fiasco, where Sinclair made all of their journalists across the country read these statements that were very politically slanted. And they got a lot of shit for it. And Doug came on the air the very next day and was in tears when talking about that uh, basically incident. <clears throat> um, and I remember he just made great points where people, because a lot of people were saying, what are you doing, man? You know, they give you this script you don't want to read, and uh, you just read it. You're a sheep, you know? And he's going, okay, listen, I've been doing this for 38 years. 
I'm not going to throw away my entire career over one stupid little script. And of course he made a good point. Of course he did. Because a lot of people talk a lot of shit. Well, you should have this or you should have that. Okay. Okay, genius. You put yourself in my shoes. Let's flip the, the, the table here. Does it flip the table? No. Let's flip. <laughs> let's, um, let's say it's you. Let's say it's your job, your career that you've worked really hard for. And your boss asks you to do something that you kind of disagree with. You're going to throw away your entire career just because they've asked you to do this one thing that you just kind of disagree with? Bullshit. Anyway, he was very emotional about that. And then the third thing, of course, very self-serving. He's written me a couple of letter recommendations for various accolades that I've won over the year, <clears throat> over the years, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. So uh, really, really big losses for the community, for sure. But... Um, Oh, you know what I did have to follow? I'm sorry. I'm looking at my notes real quick, and I forgot to follow up on the Christmas tree thing. Yes, we went to get another Christmas tree last week. Yep. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I won't rehash the story. You can listen to the beginning of last weekend's podcast. But, yep, Sunday morning we went and got another tree. We ended up uh, compromising a bit, though. We did not go and cut down a tree. In this case, we went to Pittsburgh Dairy and got one that was already cut down. But it was... Maybe I'm gonna shut up. <laughs> this feels like this feels like some stuff that's gonna get me in trouble. Okay, um, I have one, two topics to talk about left. One you might be interested in, and one you will undoubtedly, almost definitely, not be interested in. So I will save it to the end, and that is that I finally watched the Walking Dead series finale, and I'll I'll do that right at the end because I think you might want to tune out before that because I don't think a lot of people watch that show anymore. But before that, quick football notes. Odell uh, Beckham Jr. in Buffalo. Apparently, it's down to Buffalo and Dallas for where he's going to go. And they brought him on a tour around town. And here's the menu for the dinner that they served him. So they served him a first course of fried goat cheese salad. Mm, okay. Mm, that sounds good. Let me read the description. Arugula, fried goat cheese, green apples, balsamic reduction, honey, and lemon vinaigrette. Sounds fantastic. Oh, yeah. Odell, if you don't know, is a star-wide receiver who uh, st uh, I think he tore his ACL in the Super Bowl last year, right? So he's getting ready to come back and will essentially only be able to play the last little bit of the season with somebody. And because he's a star-wide receiver and is likely to only sign a really, really short-term deal with whoever he signs with, he's going to go basically straight to a contender. And so you got to look around who are the contenders right now. And Buffalo is one of the big ones. Okay, second course, Cajun seafood pasta, fettuccine, lobster, and langostinos in a Cajun tomato white wine sauce. Mm. Third course, oh, now we're talking, baby, steak a poivre. I just made pork a poivre on Friday, actually. If you don't know what a poivre is, I can't even say it, a poivre. If you don't know what au poivre is, it's basically uh, pepper encrusted. All that really means when you say pepper encrusted, because people hear that encrusted, and if they're not good chefs or not good home cooks, they think, oh, I, I don't know how to encrust it. Yes, you do. Here's all you do. Take a steak, a pork chop. It's going to be a little wet, right? It's moist. Sorry about the word moist, but it's just going to naturally be a bit moist because it's a piece of meat, and you're going to dump a ton of black pepper on it. Typically, not what they call dust. Pepper comes in different cuts. You can get whole black peppercorns. You don't want that. You can get half-cracked black peppercorns. You don't want that either. Those both have great purposes for different things, but we don't want that for a poivre. Um, and you don't want the dust, which is typically what you're going to get. 
out of a pepper shaker, something that you would see on a table at a restaurant. There's one kind of a couple, well, there's a couple, but there's maybe at least one grade in between that we're interested in here, and that's going to be the butcher style or the butcher cut black pepper. So that's basically going to be uh, larger chunks of pepper, but still pretty well ground up to the point where you're not getting enormous chunks. So it's not a whole peppercorn. It's not a half peppercorn. It's more like really, really well beat up little peppercorns and so just you can buy that at any grocery store just butcher cut pepper and you're just going to dump that all over your 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 piece of meat that's it uh i like to do some garlic and some salt too a lot of people add salt and pepper to everything i add garlic salt and pepper to everything gsp i call it so i'm going to take a little garlic a little salt a little pepper and oh by the way the garlic when i when i say when i add it with my salt and pepper it's a granulated garlic i use a lot of fresh garlic in fact my hands smell like fresh garlic right now because of the uh Lemon butter sauce I'm about to go up and make. But um, in this case, I'll just take garlic salt and that butcher-style black pepper, and I'll pour it all over my piece of meat and really press it in there. Then on a very high heat in a pan, or better yet, if you've got a, um, oh, what do you call it, um, iron cast or cast iron, right, cast iron, uh, do like a minute on each side just to really – that, that's going to really just kind of glue that pepper and that garlic and that salt to the piece of meat and then throw it in the oven until it's finished. Uh, and you've got a poivre, and it's just a great pepper crust, just so good. So anyway, they did steak a poivre for Odell Beckham. Peppercorn crusted Angus prime tenderloin filet, brandy cream sauce, mashed potatoes, and vegetables. Wonderful. Uh, fourth course dessert by Sweet Pea Bakery. What? We got a Sweet Pea in Rochester. Uh, gooey butter cake, sticky chewy with bourbon ice cream, and red velvet cake, traditional red velvet cake with cream cheese frosting. I think that's pretty impressive. I think Odell would be impressed by that. I don't know if we outdid Dallas, but that's pretty good. One small other note regarding football today is that uh, the Browns play at 1 o'clock today, and uh, it is the return of Deshaun Watson, who is the Cleveland Browns quarterback who was accused by, at this point, I want to say it's 26 or so. I'm not sure exactly how many, but um, women, mostly or maybe entirely massage therapists, who claim that he pressured them into engaging in sexual activity with him. Uh, I don't don't know the full details, but uh, apparently he was, uh, boy, this is uncomfortable. Apparently uh, he was hiring different massage therapists, and then uh, as the massage would come to an end, he would also re- uh, request of them that, uh, that he would come to an end. <clears throat> oh, boy. This got awkward. So, uh, rightfully so, he suffered a big punishment. I personally think he should have just been banned forever. It is uh, absolutely atrocious that I am in a position now where I'm going to essentially be rooting for this guy. Uh, the only thing I can do, the only only place that I've been able to get to in my head to make this okay is that I am rooting for the team and the city and the region, and I am not rooting for that particular man. And that's the best I can do, you guys. I don't know if that is me coming up short. It probably is me coming up short. Uh, I do not wish him well personally. I do not wish him any positivity personally. But for the city, the region, and that team, and the millions of fans – like me, who have suffered for years and years and years, I am going to sit up there at 1 o'clock and every Sunday from here on out, 
and I'm going to root for the Cleveland Browns. But what can't come out of my mouth at any point is anything positive about Deshaun. He's just the quarterback on the team that I love. That's Guys, I don't think it's a perfect answer either. It's where I'm at. It's just where I'm at. So, I don't know. Okay, here we go. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I am going to go into Walking Dead talk now. I have a feeling most of you have no idea what I'm talking about, nor do you care when I talk about The Walking Dead, but it took up a big part of my life, and so I'm going to tell you. It was it was sunken cost fallacy with The Walking Dead, you know? I started watching this show in, in I think, like 2011. I think it debuted in fall of 2010. But my friend Julie D. Pasquale at work at iHeartMedia got me into The Walking Dead really early on, and I believe I was one of those people who watched from either the second or maybe the third season, but I think the second season on. And so it was 10-plus years of my life invested in this TV show, and frankly, for the last three or so years, it has felt like an obligation. It has felt like, first of all, I haven't had time to watch it, so I'm squeezing it in you know, in 10 or 15-minute chunks over the course of the week right before I fall asleep at night. And I just, it just kind of lost its luster for me, but it went on for 11 seasons. Anything, 11 seasons is too much for anything. Of course it lost its luster. It lost its luster for a lot of people, too. I want to say their finale did a few million viewers previous to that. I think this thing was doing, you know, over 10, 14, 16 million viewers at one point at its height. So a few thoughts on the finale just for my fellow Walking Dead uh, viewers. Um, I thought it was a mostly a good finale. I think that uh, that that they probably could have or should have killed off a more major character than Rosita. Rosita certainly has become a major character. We love her. We care about her. But I would have loved to have seen a Carol, Daryl, Maggie, Negan, um, you know, somebody from the core. I mean, it's a series finale. You know, what are you saving them for? But the problem was AMC did this incredibly puzzling thing where about two months ago or so, they announced that they had three spinoff shows coming in 2023. One would feature the Negan and Maggie characters. The other would feature Daryl. And the other would feature Rick and Michonne. So what have you just done, AMC? You've just told me for sure that Negan and Maggie and Daryl are going to live, and you've also just completely spoiled for me that there's more to the Rick and Michonne story to be told. So no surprises in the series finale. No surprises. They did kill Rosita. Bit of a surprise, but frankly, again, not A-plus level surprise. Killing off Rosita was an A-minus to an A-level surprise. I don't want to downplay that too much. We love her. She's great. But she wasn't core untouchable. I wanted to see one of the untouchables get it in this episode. Um, the fact that they had previously announced the Rick and Michonne spinoff, and I'm not even going to bother explaining any backstory on any of this shit because at this point you're not listening anymore if you don't know this show. So anyone actually still listening to this knows The Walking Dead show, so I don't need to explain. We know Rick's alive. We know Michonne's alive. They tell us they've got this spinoff show coming. It completely ruined the end of the series finale. Because at the end of the series finale, the show ends, they go to black, but do they? A light matches. or Yeah, a light ignites. We get a candle igniting. And a match lights. That's what I tried to say. A match lights, and we get the face of Rick Grimes. 
He's alive, ladies and gentlemen. He is alive. Wouldn't it have been extraordinary if that was the very first indication that we received that he was still alive? But no, no, they announced it two months earlier that he's alive and he's got his own spinoff show coming. <laughs> and actually, a couple of years ago, they announced he was going to have spinoff movies coming, but I guess they canceled that plan. So they completely kind of ruined the entire thing. Uh, and so that last five minutes of the show where we see and hear from Rick and Michonne for the first time in years was fine, but it was essentially one giant ad for the Rick and Michonne spinoff. So here's how I would have done it. First of all, I wouldn't have said a word about the upcoming spinoff. Not a freaking peep. I would have done the series finale the exact way they did it, except I might have killed Carol, because that would have been huge. Okay? Uh, and then, when that uh, match lights, we get our first look at, look at Rick in years. We see that Michonne has been tracing him and tracking him down. It's our first look at her in years. We get a couple of minutes of, of seeing what they've been up to, which is what they gave us in the series finale, and that it ends by saying, this story will be told, fall 2023, Rick and Michonne. And I would have said, wow, this series finale just gave me the death of a major character, and they gave me a, cu a couple of minutes of screen time of, of my two favorite characters ever to be on the show who haven't been on it for years. And they just told me that this show, essentially, because The Walking Dead's always been the story of Rick Grimes. They basically just told me, wow, this show will continue with the main, the original main character, and it will continue a year from now. And I would have been thrilled. Now, I still basically got those things, just a little bit less of a surprise, right? Okay. All right. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk next week.